You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. I'm excited about this uh, new series that we're diving into. It's a three-week series, and I get to do all three weeks for us, and it's called Mastered. And uh, I want you to think about this. I've shared this quote before, but it hit me again this morning because really it does dictate how we view the world and what we do in this world with our lives that the Lord has given us. It's that quote from A.W. Tozer where it says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. How you and I view God and who he is and how he functions is the most important thing about us. It moves us in directions and paths that we maybe wouldn't have thought of before. The heart of why we're going through this series is I want to reiterate that his way is better. God's way is always better. It doesn't mean that it's easier. It doesn't mean that we don't have nicks and bumps and bruises and difficult moments in life and tragedies that happen all around us and all those things, but his way is better. What are you being mastered by and how you think about God? As we've seen the events that are unfolding, and that's just the stuff we get to see. Like, bits of horrible things that, that have happened in the Middle East, and it's probably not even the biggest tragedy in the world, but that's what we're being fed. It's horrible. I'm, I'm worked up about it. But that's just what we're being fed. That's what we're seeing. But there's lots of things that are going on in the world. But does, is your God enough? Does God have control over those. Does he know what's going on? Is he a, a God of purpose, a God of planning, a God of, of love and grace and mercy and justice? Did he want these things to happen? No. But he wins over sin. And sin is what has caused all of those things to happen. People's view of who their God is. Maybe there's a, a people that have view of a God that tells them that they should go kill little babies. That's sin, that's unhealthy. The view of how they view God absolutely is dictating what they're doing in their life. So today I want to ask this question, is God enough? Is he enough for you? Is he enough for me? Is God enough? What defines enough? What's enough? Is it, is it these things right here? Is this enough? Ooh, a Bugatti. That yacht seems a little small for me. I wish there was the Powerball ticket over there instead of those $100 bills. The winning one. By the way, you guys probably could give me some. 
How about that house? That, is that pool big enough? That burger looks like it's big enough. <laughs> but this idea of do we have enough? Uh, there's a great quote by uh, a guy named Jim Carrey. Anybody know Jim Carrey? He's an actor. Woo, got some Jim Carrey fans. All right, here we go. And here's a quote he says. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. That as you try to fill your life with stuff and you fill your life with experiences and you keep filling your life and you keep filling your life. I don't know that Jim Carrey's a Christian, but as you keep filling your life, like you're just, you're in this endless hole of, of what is the answer? What is enough? Who gets to define that? The world has a lot of loud voices that are telling you things and they want you to believe that you will never have enough or that you never are enough so that you will keep seeking what it is selling. My wife made fun of me this week. We were trying to watch The Amazing Race uh, as a show and I recorded it. And for some reason, the thing that I recorded on made me want to watch, made me watch commercials. And I cannot watch TV anymore and watch commercials. And as I was sitting there through the, I didn't even make it through the, I'm like, I can't do it, babe. Sorry, we got to turn it off. Just not going to watch it. Not going to watch it. And as I was sitting there through the first set of commercials, I was going through my mind with this sermon, how much stuff is not enough? And I was, I was being marketed to over and over again, what stuff was telling me that I was Okay. That there is enough, that, that, that like there's this constant message that, that God is holding out on you. That you're missing out on something. And what the world is telling you is that you need more of whatever it is. Love. Why would you just keep your own love for just one person? You should be able to love lots of people physically. Yeah, just, just multiple lovers. Why not? Just lots of it. That's not what God says. You got to do what makes you happy. What's going to make you happy? Now, don't worry about what's going to make you holy. Let's talk about what's going to make you happy. And then we go back to the Jim Carrey quote. But that's not the answer. Education, you know, oh, you just have a bachelor's? Hmm, couldn't get your master's, huh? <laughs> oh, you just got your master's? Didn't, didn't, no PhD? Hmm, I guess we won't call you doctor. Oh, you got your PhD? Which university? Oh, not Harvard? Mm. Mm. Not enough. Not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. See, we've been programmed to think that we don't have enough. So here's my uh, real life experience of not enough. And I'm going to ask for some audience participation. So when you think the word enough is supposed to go in there, you say enough. Let's practice it. One, two, three. Enough. Enough. Okay. So I got the privilege. Uh, my brother-in-law came, came over from uh, Washington and uh, came over from Washington State over Camas area. And he came down and we got to go play nine holes of golf uh, this week. And this was my first golfing experience since uh, my fun little procedure of open heart surgery. And uh, when I was trying to play this game of golf again, I was very nervous. And so when I, this is, this is my golf swing, so you guys, all you pros can look at it. That was about what it was. I was kind of worried about tearing the chest up. I, should have, I kind of should have been like that. Oh, that felt better. But no, I was all arms. And you know that darn ball? It didn't go straight. 
It didn't go far. Sometimes it didn't go anywhere. I'm not a good golfer anyway, but I'm usually a fun guy to golf with. I wasn't even a fun guy to golf with. I had this one chip on the 10th hole, and it almost, it was there. It was so close. It was like this, this close from going in the hole. It was almost, but it wasn't. And then my five iron, my five iron miraculously flew out of my hands because the five iron didn't hit the ball straight. It happens. Good pastoral moment there. But our God is enough. And he always has been enough and he always will be enough for us. So let's dive into our story about this God who provides, this God who sees, this God who is enough. And so we're going to spend some time uh, in your notes there. You see that we are in Genesis 22, 1 through 18. And we are talking about Abraham and Isaac. And let me give you a little backstory about Abraham and Isaac. Uh, Abraham, Father Abraham, is credited uh, Islam, uh, Jews, and Christians all trace their lineage back to Father Abraham. So he's a pretty significant person in the text. And so uh, he, we are introduced to him in Genesis chapter 11 at his birth, and his name is Abram at that time. And uh, then in Genesis uh, chapter 12, Abram is asked, the Lord says, asked to him, says, hey, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to a land that I'll show you. Leave everything that you have, leave your family, leave, leave all this stuff and go to this land that I will show you. Just like all of us would totally do. We just pick up and leave today, right? And just go like, well, to show me where. Well, I have some questions. What kind of land is it? Where is it? Can I come back to visit? Uh, what's my wealth going to be like there? I got lots of questions about that. Or am I just supposed to go to some place that you're going to show me when you feel like you're ready, God? And he says, I will make you into a great nation and bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And so he does. Now, remember, this is Abraham. This is 400-ish plus years before Moses is even on the scene. What does he know about God? Does he have the Ten Commandments? Does he have the Bible? Does he have all of these things? What does he know about God? He knows about God based on what he's experienced with God. And that God is enough and that God has shown up and he's been tested. And so as you go on into the story uh, in regards to, to Abraham and, and Isaac, he's, he's married to this gal named uh, Sarai. But she is barren. And he really, really, like not having family, not having kids was not just a bummer. It was like life-changing like, they didn't have nursing homes. Your kids would take care of you. You had kids to work the land, to be shepherds, to do those things. Like, not having children was a big, big deal. And so they try some things unsuccessfully where uh, his wife gives him a maidservant, and then they have, uh, he has a child with his maidservant, and for some reason she's bitter and angry about it. It's weird. And so later on in this story, God says, hey, I'm going to give you a son through, uh, through Sarah. And they laughed. Because Abraham was 100, and Sarah is like 75-ish. And she, in the story, if you read this, and you go through, go read the story. It's Genesis 12 through 22. You can read farther if you want to. But go read this story as you're understanding the history of who these folks are. They are laughing. They actually named their son Isaac, which means Laughter. 
The one that God gave them, this son that they finally got, they have named Isaac, which means laughter. It also means, can mean joy. That they have an heir. And so let's take a look at where this uh, place, where this actually takes place. Uh, here in uh, Beersheba is where this story is going to begin. Not far from where we see the Gaza Strip there. So this is within 30 to 35 miles of, of all the things you've been given news to in the last couple of weeks of what's going on in a certain area of Israel. So this is happening in Beersheba. And um, God is asking something pretty significant. He gave, he gave Sarah and he, and he got the son named Isaac, his one and only son from the wife that he loves, that he's connected to, and he asked him something that it seems weird. And maybe it could possibly be a foreshadowing to something he would actually do himself. And so join me as we dive into the text here. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham is tested. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Let's go back to that map if you can back there real quick. Audible, back to the map really quick. So he's down here in Beersheba, and it's about 50 miles, a three-day walk with his son and the donkey and a couple of servants all the way up through Hebron, all the way up toward Jerusalem to where Moriah is. So this is, this is a faith journey. Hey, take your son and walk to Spokane and go to Mount Spokane and, uh, and sacrifice your son. That would be a good picture of what that would look like. You mean the one son that you gave me that, you, that has brought us so much joy? Go sacrifice him, Lord? I'd have lots of questions. We'd probably be debating, and that's why I'm not Abraham. All right. Verse 3. Thank you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw that place in the distance. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. While I and the boy go over there, we... We'll worship, and then we will come back to you. Interesting. Why does he think that he's bringing his son back? Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself uh, carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, or his, said to his Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Uh, we have the fire and we have the wood, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself 
will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. That's good. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies and uh, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. How far do you trust God to provide? Do you trust him to provide till tomorrow? Do you trust that he's going to provide everything in the future that he's going to call you to and through, even when it doesn't make sense because that probably didn't make sense? Why would you give me something, Lord? And then potentially take it away. See, he, he is a God who provides. Whether I agree with his provision, whether I think it's enough, he's still a God who provides. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. What does he, how does he take care of us? Well, he takes care of our physical needs, and we see that in the text. We see that in uh, Philippians and Matthew and Psalms and Luke. We'll see this. You can see the physical needs of people being taken care of. How many people wonder if you're going to eat today? How many people wonder what you're going to have today? How many people wonder if you're going to like it? Not about its nutritional value. But see, God provides. He's providing for us at every turn, at every step. Why? It's, and it's so easy for us now. We don't even have to go harvest our own food, really. If you call going to the grocery store, going to Walmart and having them bring it out to my wife's car, why would you ever go in there anymore? They can just deliver it to you. But see, he provides our basic needs. He also provided a way to give us rest. For today, many of you, today is your Sabbath. How are you Sabbathing today? How are you resting? What are you excited about resting in the Lord with? What are you asking him to fill your day with as you rest? 
You know, there's a foreign concept to these people. Rest. Foreign concept to the people who are in Egypt and working. Can you imagine if you just, that was your life? You just sun up to sundown, making bricks, and that's all you knew, and that's all your dad ever knew, and that's all your grandpa ever knew, and that's all, like, you, you, that's just it. This is what I do until I die, until I can't perform anymore. See, all these gods that were around at the time of Abraham, these different gods that are out there, they're, they're not a god who provides. They're a god who takes. When he does provide, he requires something back from it. And so this is different. This god is different. This God provides the sacrifice. And so there it starts to, to change Abraham's mind. Like, okay, wait, this God is different from these other gods. And do you know that your God is different from all the little gods of the world? He's a God who provided his very own sacrifice, his very own son, Jesus Christ, to come upon this earth, to take upon our sin, to help us as we, to leave the Holy Spirit with us as we go and walk this out. That whoever believes in their heart that Jesus came to this earth and died and was buried and rose again, they will be saved. That your death isn't capped out as your body is slowly decaying like mine is. You're not capped out with that. That you're going to be in an eternity with your Father in heaven. He also provides direction. How many people in here this week ask God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to know? How do you want me to move in your kingdom? Because I am, I, I'm, I'm, I'm your servant. I'm serving, I'm serving. How can I serve you, Lord? Proverbs 20, 24, a person's step are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? How many people are trying to understand their own way and make their own way and be their own God? He provides us grace to get through any situation. He helps us know how to escape the temptations. How many people were tempted this week? Just me. Bummer. Okay, three of us. No, we're tempted this week. And does he provide a way out of temptation? In Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful He is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So have we mastered the truth that God's enough? That he is going to provide for your needs. That he's going to take care of you. Do you function like that in your life? Do you live that way? Is what God provides enough? What if we try and be mastered by the knowledge and belief that our God is enough? How will we live differently? What will we act like as a community, as real life on the Palouse, if we view that God is enough? What would we stop like hoarding for ourselves and start pushing out into our community? Is there anybody in our community that deserves to not have shoes? Is there anybody in our community that deserves to not be warm? If a church like Real Life is here. Is there anybody in our community that deserves to be homeless? What does it look like when we're taking care of the basic needs of our community? 
because we have a God who provides and we can tell that story. And do you see a connection in the story that we read today of the foreshadowing of the sacrifice of a son? He made sure that we had enough by providing Jesus the Christ. His one and only son. It's not about that it's not God provides versus Josh who provides. Everyone knows when people think that they are the author of their provision and they have everything that they get a little bit self-centered and that they can do it. Like, well, I got that promotion. Oh, you did. Did God have anything to do with it? Did he give you the breath? Did he give you the mind? Did he give you the resources? And so I just want us to be very careful with what we're being mastered by. Are we mastered by that this is a God who's holding out, who doesn't, things are out of control, he can't control what's going on, I I better take control because I can do it. I barely can control myself. His shoulders are big enough and broad enough to take care of all of these things. So when you think about God, what do you think about when it comes to provision? And not just think about, but how does it flow out of your life? What would change tomorrow if we truly acted like Abraham about a God who is going to provide in our area? He did provide. We're going to take this time to go into communion. If you didn't grab one on your way in, I'd love for you to grab one. Uh, Dennis or Ron, uh, if you raise your hand, we will get communion. But this is the ultimate act of provision. One in the very back right, Ron. This is the ultimate act of provision. This is a God who provides. The sacrifice for all time. And as we take this time to go to communion, I have some questions I want you to be pondering. What are the times that you have seen that you know, you just know without a shadow of a doubt that there's no way that that could have happened without God's intervention? Where you can point to a marker and it's like, God absolutely provided for her. Lord, put that into everyone's head that you have provided for, Lord. Give them that moment of provision. Let them relive that. Let them feel the awe that they felt when you provided. When have you ever felt seen by God through his provision where he knew the cry that you had in your heart? know that your God saw you. Maybe you have these overwhelming stories of God's provision, God's provision, God's provision. And who is God directing you to provide for? Who's he asking you to steward his resources that he's given you to provide for as he provides for you? Where he gives you the opportunity to feel what it feels like to love someone well, to take care of needs where there is no benefit to yourself.
Father God, we come to you, Lord. We come to you to have you master our thoughts. And we want to land in the beginning, Lord, that, that, that you are a God who sees. That you are a God who has provided, will provide, and does provide every day. Remind us, show us, Lord, where that happens. And it doesn't have to be through the big things. It can be through the, the small things. And let us be a gracious people. Let us have gratitude. Make it very evident in our lives. Show us, highlight it, Lord, of your provision. And let us follow that provision to faith and trust. That we would have faith in you, that we would trust you more, that we would be more obedient to you because we know, Father, that you love us. You loved us so much, Lord, that you provided the sacrifice. You provided it for Abraham and you provided it for us. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took that bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember how you have provided. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We do proclaim it. We proclaim you as a God of provision. And we thank you that our Lord is coming again. Father, I thank you for this time. I ask to be personally mastered by you and your ways and your purposes and your thoughts. That I would lead through example of walking in faith, being in situations where you show up, Lord, and I recognize it and I proclaim it to the world. Give me eyes to see what you provide and how I'm supposed to also engage in that, Lord. Give me the heart to feel what your people are needing. Let us be a church that is your people, a church that believes that you do provide and we act like it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.